0: So it's uh, been a little while since we've posted, but if I remember correctly, we had an intent to look at what's really going on in schools um, around what's being taught, especially around race. And we had you know, a great opportunity that you were able to pull together talking to a few teachers that are actually doing the work on a lot of different levels. And so that's what this podcast is going to be about, right? We're just going to listen in to the conversation we have with these three teachers and really the conversation between them and uh, let that do the talking for us today.
1: This is a new kind of show for us. It's kind of cool. We're going to hand over the reins to three teachers, three middle school teachers and let them talk about what's really going on. And uh, and then we can kind of, we're actually going to break this into two parts uh, because they had kind of a lengthy and involved conversation. So we're going to give them the floor on this one. And then uh, next episode, we'll come back and hear the end of their conversation where they, they take a little turn that I think is going to lead us into some deeper conversation that we'll reflect on after the next show. But this one really is uh, giving them an opportunity to talk about the stuff they're doing which should be pretty cool for everyone to hear.
0: Yeah, so let's listen in.
2: Welcome to Season 2 of the 3 to 10 Project. Two white, cisgender males who have been friends for over 25 years, exploring race, gender, and education by talking through the intersection of our identities with our experience, as well as what we are reading, listening to, and thinking about. And most importantly, considering how to show up moving forward. The 3 to 10 project reflects our long-term commitment, 3 to 10 years of working together to build community and culture inspired by author Resmaa Menekum. You can learn more about Resma and find a link to the podcast that inspired us on our website. I'm Mark.
1: I'm Reed. This season we're framing each episode around an essential question. Sometimes we may uncover answers, usually we'll end up with even more questions. And as we move to hold ourselves accountable, we'll wrap up every discussion by setting specific intentions for action. How will we be moved to act, and what will we do? Welcome to Season 2, Episode 3, entitled, How Can Teachers Start Discussions About Race? This is the first part of our conversation with three middle school teachers from Maine, Joanna, Haley, and Sashi. Their school is in an affluent community, has a student body that is more than 90% white, and there are no people of color on the teaching staff these three teachers have been pushing to start conversations about race in their classrooms, their school, and across the wider district. One note, they'll reference DEI a few times. That stands for Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. Let's hear what they have to teach us. Well, welcome, and why don't we get started If you each would just maybe introduce yourself, who you are as a person and a teacher, just give us a little overview.
3: Okay. Uh, My name is Haley, and I teach middle school French and Spanish. I've also taught ESL previously. I've taught in a lot of different places. I've taught abroad. I taught in an urban school in Boston. I'm originally from Maine, so now I'm teaching in, in that context. I'm back in Maine. As a teacher, I feel like, especially as a middle school teacher, I feel like what I teach is kids and there's also French or Spanish, um, but an important part, I think, of helping kids figure out who they are in whatever context in the, in the classroom is thinking beyond themselves, like, who am I in the world? So I that's sort of my approach to teaching world language. Um, and sort of allowing them to explore who they are and who they are in the world. Um, Especially because of my experience teaching in an urban context, it's often like race comes up. And when it comes up, I try to um, be mindful of the message that kids are receiving and how, and like integrating positions of privilege and power um, into the conversation.
1: Thank you, Haley. How about you, Joe?
3: So my name is
4: Joanna, and I teach, this year I teach 7th and 8th grade humanities, um, and I am on a team of teachers who are trying to do some place-based education with the team of kids we have this year. So I've taught for about 20 years, um, and like Haley, I've taught in different places, and um, ranging from Louisiana to New York and Connecticut, and now in Maine. Um, But Maine is the place that I've taught the longest in, um, but not always in the school I'm in now. I've taught in a more rural uh, area of Maine before teaching um, in the town. I teach now, and I do live in the town, and I have a son who's in sixth grade um, in the it goes to the same school that I teach in. And as far as race in the classroom goes, um, I would say that, um, like Haley, my goal is to teach the whole kid. And, you know, that in middle school can look kind of messy sometimes because of the age and developmental stage of kids in middle, middle school. They're going through a lot. Um, so a lot of the kids, um, today in my class, and then for the last few years, certainly since the black lives matter movement became widespread, they, they really do value and want to learn about, um, people of color and the history of racism in the United States. So, I think a lot of my um, efforts to teach about race and racism and systemic racism in my class comes from kids' desire and valuing that topic.
1: Thanks. And Sashi, can you tell us a little about yourself?
5: Okay, so um I'm Sashi, and Uh, I've been teaching here for, uh, this is my fifth year. Um, Initially, I really wanted to um, teach somewhere where I didn't have to teach one subject four times a day. Uh, I was looking at some, just some different options and it's, it's just hard when you've been in a district for 13 years um, to think about leaving. And so I kind of jumped a little bit. I took a bit of a risk, you know, I ended up not, I wouldn't have the same seniority and um and but what i found was that i really found a school culture that much more fit with who i am as a teacher and as a person um and that was accidental i didn't go looking for that uh it fits much more with who i am and the the autonomy that i like to have in the classroom um you know before teaching i did a lot of uh environmental education and outdoor education so i think i bring a lot of that to the classroom Um, Just, uh, you know, loving going outside, wanting to do a lot of project-based learning, um, wanting to integrate, you know, the community into my classroom. And um, that's where I'm now teaching in a seventh grade experiential education program, which means that I'm the responsible for social studies, science, and language arts. Um, And we do that in kind of a more integrated project-based format.
1: So, Mark and I, in our last conversation, we kind of were working around this question of why are people afraid to talk about race in the classroom? But in that conversation, we ended up talking a lot about sort of what it's like for teachers. And so, we're really happy to have you here. And where we'd like to start is understand some of the collective work that you have been leading and involved in in this district um since you know late last spring early last summer so can you talk us through a little bit of like what you've done with regards to what we can call DEI in the district kind of give us the context of sort of how did things start and then why did you each of you want to be involved and kind of what's been accomplished so far
4: um
1: so the murder of
4: George Floyd I believe was in May of 2020. Yeah, help me out. Yeah, that's right. Um, So a colleague of mine and I were talking after the murder of George Floyd and also in particular, the harassment of the man in Central Park. um,
1: Cooper. Cooper. Yes.
4: By that, by the white woman in Central Park which are, I mean, the murder of George Floyd, I have to say, you know, that was a huge deal. And, but for some reason, the harassment of Cooper in central park as a white woman watching that really got to me. And I was just so aware of That woman's motives and deconstructing her actions in that video was like transformative and profound for me because it was so clear to me what she was doing. Um, So, anyway, a colleague of mine um, from the high school uh, and I were talking, and we were, we decided that we needed to take action. So, she and I composed a letter um, to the school board um, and the case, she and I were working together that whole year previous to this in some kind of silly leadership thing that we missed school to go do. It was really bad, but we were in a group of people that were working together about actually about um, teaching anti-racism and, and kind of doing a, an audit just internally of our schools um, that whole year. So this was a topic that we had been discussing. And then when George Floyd's murder happened, um, and then those other events around that same time, Brianna Taylor and Cooper, Chris Cooper, So she and I were kind were very um, moved. And so we worked together and wrote a letter to the school board and then um, published it in our little local paper you know, without, we didn't like ask for permission or anything. We just were like, just we're doing this. And then we, we published it, but we also, before we published it, put it out to the, the teachers in the district, asking them if they would want to add their name. And so many, many did. Um, and I would say that, if somebody didn't, it wasn't because they didn't support it. I don't know, maybe they didn't open their email or something like that. So that was actually kind of a side note problematic. Like people were like, why didn't so-and-so sign it? But anyway, it went to the newspaper with, I don't know, hundreds of teachers' names on it. And basically the letter demanded that we address systemic racism in our schools and that we um demand that the school board make a resolution or you know take some some public action and as a result of the letter a uh, dei committees was formed um, a district-wide dei committee headed by our then curriculum coordinator who has since left the district this is the first year without her so all last year we met as a committee um representing all three schools in our district And then at the middle school level, we have our own building level DEI committee of which Haley and I and Sashi are a part of. So we we do work with the district, and then we do work at our building level.
1: So Joanna, you had you talked about the situation with Christian Cooper and Amy Cooper, no relation, uh, in Central Park, and both and the murder of George Floyd, but. Why did you feel like action in the schools was important? Like those things touched you and got you upset, but what does that have to do with your role as teaching? Why was it important for the school to be involved?
4: Well, first of all, I mean, it was a national news story and I'd been teaching, um, you know, it wasn't like race had never come up in my classroom before that. And then those three events happened kind of back to back i knew kids were paying attention um and black lives matter the black lives matter movement was gaining traction and i knew kids were going to marches and so it's honestly the whole it seems like kind of malpractice for me not to even address it like we had read just mercy in my class that year you know it was like of course i teach kids who are citizens in this world and if why what i can't i can't not address it i guess is my point now i'm not saying i always do it well but to ignore it is not okay
1: and haley i'm trying to get the timing right on this did you so were you joining the schools right um at that time or had you already been in the school for a year
3: no that was my first year was last year. So it was the 2020, 2021.
1: Okay. So you were walking in just as this all was getting underway. So what, what prompted you to get involved?
3: Um, I think that there, I mean, there are a bunch of factors, but I think that this was, this is the first time I've taught in a lot of different contexts. Um, but this was the first time that I was working in a, in a really affluent community that is largely white um, in a public school. And so like the, the previous school that I had worked at was Jesuit. And so there was a very strong um, like moral imperative to engage with this work. Um, and so that was, that was an interesting but different context. And I was trying to figure out how I could engage with this very important work in this context. And so this was sort of like the natural, um, and also like to, to figure out who my brand new colleagues were that were interested in this work, which, you know, as we've said, ha, was sort of nationally blowing up as this great um, awakening of white people to be like, hey, um, this is something that a lot of people have known about for a long time, but is really in the spotlight and um, there's urgency around it, so that's how I, um, those are sort of my reasons for getting involved. And it's also like just um, a much deeper way of getting to know your colleagues um, when you're working in a, in a context where nobody can be in the same room together. Like at least in that context, I could feel like, um, like there were people hoping to move the needle on this important work.
1: Sashi, um what made you want to get involved with sort of collective DEI work in the district?
5: Uh, so I um I think that um being a white teacher of mostly white students has always raised issues for me in the classroom, um whether it was, you know, the brief sort of ways that race might come up in my classroom and having like just one or two kids of color in the room. um, It it just always seemed to me like an area that was lacking in any school district I was in in Maine because people felt like they didn't have to deal with these issues because they were standing in front of a group of mostly white students and slash they weren't comfortable dealing with it as a white teacher. Um, It just felt like Yeah, I think for a lot of people, it feels like they don't have the right to talk about it um, and they don't see it as something that they have the responsibility to talk about. You know, I can't talk about it because I'm a white person, so I might say something wrong. Uh, So, you know, I was really interested in educating myself more about how to be that white teacher having these conversations. And that was kind of what I was looking for. I think, two or three summers ago when Joanna and I went to that um, Seeds of Peace uh, camp wor- uh, summer workshop. And it ultimately wasn't what I got out of that workshop. But I feel like the the interest in um, educating myself and hopefully educating, you know, other teachers about how to have difficult conversations around issues of race. Um, that's when I felt like, you know, uh, the an interest in having doing that work myself and having those conversations in my classroom
4: and with my colleagues. So one thing I really agree with, with what Sashi just shared, um, was this idea that where white teachers feeling, well, that in general, white teachers teaching mostly white kids feel number one, like, it's almost like a a way to get out of it. Like, oh, I don't need to teach about this because most of my students are white. And then on top of that, sort of feeling like, and I don't know what I'd say if I did, right? So, um, but what's so interesting to me about that is, yet white teachers in front of white kids teach American history. Right? They teach about slavery. They teach about the Constitution. They teach about, you know, all that's the you know, Martin Luther King Day or whatever. But yet somehow they can whitewash all of that too. And it just seems to me like you can't say, I'm not going to teach about it and then go ahead and teach a whitewashed version of slavery. You know what I'm saying? Like it just, there's such a disconnect in my head about that. It just—it seems so convenient, you know. No, like, no, I, I, I get
5: what you're saying. It's sort of like, but I think it's, it's out of, it's out of ignorance more yeah. than anything else. Like, they, they just think they're teaching history. They don't. They wouldn't be like, I'm just going to go ahead and teach a well, whitewashed version of history. They're just teaching what they've been told they should teach, or. Um,
4: I I guess, you know, this is sort of my thing. And we were having this conversation earlier this week about another issue. I just don't get it. Like, how can you, (laughs) I just don't, how can you tell yourself that? Like, there's no, this is the 21st century, right? Like Black Lives Matter. We've had marches. People are talking about systemic racism. Like, how do you escape it and continue to tell yourself, not you, Sashi, or you, Haley, but like, Oh, I'm just teaching American history. Like you have to be, I think, consciously trying to be ignorant.
3: Well, and I, and I also
4: you're gonna be a little more generous than me.
3: I am, but like I that's
4: am. how I feel. Somebody talked me off the ledge.
3: Well, I mean, this is Haley. Um, I I feel like all of that discomfort with a a healthy dose of the fear that Reed was talking about and in the last, um, and Mark were talking about in the last episode, I I feel like it only takes a little bit of fear to like keep people doing what they're comfortable doing. Right. Like it's, there's a little bit of a threat of a consequence. And so like doing something new is a risk on its own. And I I feel like that sense that there might be a consequence for doing something new is like an extra barrier. Yeah. Yeah.
5: And I would just add to that, that i totally agree haley i think that um you know coming coming from a district that was very reactive like you can't say that you can't do that because the parents will come and get you like that that's really how i used to feel in my district it was like if you said or did something that was like not you know um fully approved by the curriculum committee the parents were going to come after you and the admin was going to come after you and i think that a lot of teachers live in that kind of fear-based um, even where we teach, where I feel like we are for the most part very supported, I feel like the community is very left-leaning and liberal, and but the teachers aren't necessarily. And I, yeah, I I hate to say it, Joanna, but I think you're sadly, I think you're in a little bit of a bubble.
4: <laughs> I love it. I'm in my what would my bubble be called? Um, <laughs> uh,
5: flaming liberal landia. <laughs>
4: no I can I can I can buy that and you know I I can get on my little soapbox and go a little nuts about it but I do I do sympathize I don't and want it, you I don't want you to get off your soapbox like we need you on your soapbox
5: it's just <laughs> it's just it's just hard it's it, the work that we do is like if this is irritating because I I feel like I'm like I don't want to care about turning people off but at the same time if i do then then nothing changes you know then people just back walk backwards back to their safe little corner, corner teach about the pilgrims and the indians and how they had a nice dinner together you know <laughs> and, because that's safe and no one will no parents will call them and no nobody will push them and you know it, the same thing is true in your classroom like you know you you have to make the learning environment somewhere where people are comfortable enough to experience discomfort that you know comes with learning
4: look that I get like I'm totally on board with like reacting to the students in your classroom and and teaching who's there and and starting from where the kids are I know and and I feel that that. way about your colleagues no it's the adults that drive me nuts
0: (laughs) (laughs) uh I I just wanted to ask a question So, And I first just want to acknowledge how this is super interesting, and I'm really appreciating what's being said and the willingness to share. And I just want to go back to this question about you wrote this letter, got signed by hundreds of people. It asks for something to happen by the school committee or school board. And I was just curious what happened, if anything, at the school committee level. And a kind of follow-up then is how did that impact what you did as teachers one way or the other? I, I'm really interested in that dynamic.
4: Well, I can say, and Haley and Sashi, if if you have a different view of this, speak up for sure. But um, as a result of that letter, the school board did re I think they even just rededicated um uh, themselves to teaching about racial justice like it's there's some school board goal around this and that they you know that it's there and if teachers um need to like have the back of the school board for any situation they've got it. I'd say that the relationship between the school board and the teachers around racial equity and racial justice is very strong. Strongly in favor of of addressing this topic. And I for one as part of the DEI committee definitely feel like the school board is in favor of this. The school board chair, she comes to some of the meetings, she's been very involved. So that's happened.
5: And yet at our last like staff circle, I had someone say like, what's the auditor? What's the audit? Like most people don't know what that is. Like, yeah, there's there's definitely like a relationship between, I, I feel that there's support from the school board. I feel like there's a core group of teachers who are interested in continuing to do this work. Um, and yet some people, but then there's like, you know, probably the majority of our staff that has no idea, like even what the work is or what's happening.
3: Because um, I don't think we've talked about the audit. So that like one of the other things that grew out of this um, through my understanding is through the district DEI committee is that our task force initially um, was that there would be a curriculum audit. And so there's an outside um auditor who's looking at 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 all at the district-wide practices and curriculum and but but I agree 100% Sashi that there is there's a huge communication gap between like that's happening but yeah I think a lot of teachers at the school don't know that's happening like I brought it to my department to be like hey let's like get ahead of this and look at our curriculum and see what we think Mm -hmm. um but uh I don't think anybody would have known about it if I hadn't happened to mention it. I mean, I, I think this is kind of scattershot, but I think that maybe reflects the um, what's happening to some degree, where like there was this letter of, of you know, a focus on anti-racist education from the um, school board. And then there um, is an audit going on. And then at the building level, we've started to have conversations among staff I guess the, the purpose is to see if we can, as, a, as these adults, like, can we have the difficult conversations in order to explore, like what that might be like in the classroom.
1: Can you say more about the circle conversations? Was that something that someone took initiative to create at the middle school? Or is that a district-wide thing that grew out of committee work? And what is it?
4: Somebody else take this, because I'm going to, I'm going to lose okay. it. <laughs> okay. Okay. I think the idea of,
5: um, doing s- sort of using this, using the circle as a format for discussion, um, came in response to, um, wanting to create an advisory program, um, wanting to have it have structure, feeling like the kids were going to be coming back to school this year with more social and emotional needs related to the pandemic and having been out of school, you know, or been in school inconsistently for the last, you know, 18 prior 18 months, And then um, as far as, you know, doing staff circles, and I I should add, I guess, that there's um, definitely some resistance to doing those circles. You know, some people are more comfortable with it than others. Some people feel like an advisory should be, you know, more like open to the interpretation of the advisor. Some people want to play, you know, do more like community building games. Or this is, we're trying to adopt something with consistency where every, teacher in the building would sit down with a group of students and that we would, you know, have like a talking piece and a question and people would have a chance to respond and, you know, follow the sort of norms of the circle. Um, and then as far as having staff circles, um, we've had a couple of staff circles just to talk about like how the circle process is going. Uh, but then, um, you know, we had a, an incident in school, um, related to costuming culture that we wanted to kind of bring up with the whole staff. Um, and I don't, I don't think like, it wasn't like we were like, oh, we should do some circles around anti-racism with the whole staff. I think it kind of grew organically out of, you know, what we observed was happening. And as a way to hopefully, you know, talk in a safe environment for people, um, about you know some problematic issues or behavior that we were seeing from students or potentially problematic and um, or just a way to like model uncertainty, um, which is what I was feeling and related to this particular incident. So we had a, a circle and I think we all felt like, despite it being somewhat frustrating, um, it was a good, possibly a good model to use going forward to continue to talk about issues around race and racism with the staff.
4: So the idea of circles came from working with advisory, but then what we did was as a DEI building committee at the middle school, of which Sashi, Haley, and I are a part, we approached the principal of the middle school and asked for time during our staff meeting which has historically been maybe 15 minutes long um, to address, to have time to talk about DEI. So it was again, very teacher driven um, that went to the administration and said, we would like to use some of the unused staff meeting time to talk about issues related to DEI. And the administration said, fine. So. We were kind of fighting, and this was last money, a little bit against like people expecting to have a 15-minute staff meeting after school, and then suddenly like the DEI committee is taking up the rest of the time. And so it was a little, in my opinion, a little rigged against us. People were maybe a little frustrated that they had to stay for the full hour um, when they don't usually have to do that. But it was very teacher driven asking the administration if we could have that time. And we've asked if we could continue to have that time in future staff meetings.
1: Thank you to Joanna, Haley and Sashi for sharing all the work they've been doing to bring conversations about race into their schools. Clearly, they've met with success and frustrations. We hope you'll rejoin us for our next episode, when they dig deeper into how the experience has actually felt for them. And we open up a discussion that touches upon not only race, but gender.
2: Thank you for listening to the 3 to 10 Project. You can find all episodes on our website and through a number of streaming apps, including Spotify, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, Breaker, and Pocket Casts.
1: Do you have a question you want us to wrestle with or a topic you'd like us to explore? Hey, would you like to be a guest on the show? You can email Reed directly at reeddire1, that's the numeral one, at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And if you think these conversations could be valuable to others, please pass the podcast link along. Finally, thanks as always to Random Chiz for our season two theme music.